In just a moment, we are going to prepare to receive communion. But before we do that, let me frame a little bit. This won't be long tonight, but as we normally have a briefer Christmas Eve service. But I do think it's important to frame our time together, our experience around the Word of God. One of my favorite hymns that we sing at Christmas, and we sang it the very beginning, called Joy to the World. And you might be surprised, maybe disappointed, I hope not, to learn that our favorite Christmas carol that we sung was not actually originated as a Christmas carol. Uh, Isaac Watts, who published Joy to the World in 1719, uh, and course, millions began to sing that over Christmas and adopted it as a Christmas hymn, uh, declaring, let earth receive her king and the incarnation. Certainly, it's very much a part of that. But joy to the world really was designed not so much as a hymn celebrating the incarnation, the birth of Christ, but it was really sung originally about the second coming of Christ, joy to the world. But we Certainly have it now embedded in our psyche as part of our Christmas singing. And as I've uh, sing that song and through the years, there's a particular line in verse 3 that I want to focus on this evening in our, just our brief time. And it's verse 3, and it'll be on the screen. It says, No more let sins and sorrow grow. No, no thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. The reversal of what the Bible describes as the curse is promised in the coming of the Messiah and the fulfillment of his atoning work. And right there, in that third stanza of this hymn, Christ's victory over sin is declared that his victory extends as far as the curse is found. You say, what curse? And how far is this curse found? And where is it found? These will not be on the screen, but I read these just as a familiarity that we find what the Bible describes as the curse, the curse of sin, that goes back to Genesis chapter 3, where the Bible uh, tells us that after Eve had eaten of the tree, the forbidden tree that God had commanded uh, she and Adam not to eat, and they found themselves facing the reality of their sin before God and facing the displeasure of God and the Bible says that God first cursed the serpent that we know in Scripture as Satan. Genesis 3 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or separation between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then God, in that same passage, the Bible gave a curse to the woman. 
To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then God came to curse Adam. Talking about how far the curse is found. God came to curse Adam, and through Adam, all humanity suffered this curse. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, that you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. Now, in Christian tradition and theology, we understand that because of Adam's sin, that as the, what is often referred to as the federal head of the human race, that in Adam, that we, in essence, all fell. He was the first uh, train, and all fell off the cliff because we were all pictured in Adam. Because the curse was upon Adam, the curse became a curse because of judgment and because of sin upon the entire human race. The curse is God's righteous judgment against sin and disobedience. The curse is upon the whole human race. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All without exception, all of humanity have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how can we sing about the joy, joy to the world? How do we sing about that when they're in that third stanza? Tucked away right there is a profound and important, essential theological truth that hinges much of the Word of God and Christian understanding that He has brought His blessing, the Messiah, as far as the curse is found. How can that be singing about the joy to the world? Well, Paul helps us in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3. For all who rely on works of the law, meaning their own self-works, their own self-righteousness, for all who rely on works of the law are under what? A curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified or made right before God by the law, through works, through keeping and doing good works and good deeds, by keeping the law. For the righteous, the Bible says, shall live by faith. The great reformational truth, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Obedience to the law is not of faith, and the one who does them shall live by them. And so, before you understand the good news of the gospel, before you can understand joy to the world, you've got to understand there's some bad news. The bad news is that we are born under the curse of sin. That's how the Bible presents the picture of the human race and the necessity of the incarnation of why Christ had to come and why it had to be the perfect Lamb of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot earn our way to heaven. It's not a balance of good works versus bad works. So where is the good news? Well, Paul tells us if we keep reading 
in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Here's the good news. Christ redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ Jesus was born, came, was sent to redeem his people from the curse of the law. What we could not do because of our bondage, because of our sin, the Bible actually says that we are dead in our sin, what we could not do, what was impossible for us to do, Jesus Christ came, the incarnation, the baby we celebrate at the birth at this time of year, Christ came to redeem us. In fact, the scripture reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him, God the Father made him to be sin, who knew no sin. He was without sin, the perfect Lamb of God, he who knew no sin, so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus Christ hung figure on a tree, on the cross, the wooden beams, because he hung, because he died, because he became a curse to redeem us from the curse, and the effects of that atoning work are as wide as the curse is found. The curse permeates all of life and all of creation. There's no limitations to the atoning work of Jesus and the blood of Christ. And regardless of who you are, where you are, where you were born, the blood of Jesus Christ, the salvation that Christ was born to bring, to live, to die, to become that curse, to die on the cross in our place, to bear our sin, our shame, our guilt, to pay the full penalty for our sin, dying as a substitute in our place by His blood, He has redeemed us from the curse. You may have never noticed that in that third stanza of joy to the world. So celebration of singing about Christmas and right there, oh, why did they have to put the bad news there? What is this curse thing all about? Let me tell you something. Without understanding who you are apart from Christ, you'll never understand who you are in Christ and the blessing of God of what salvation really and truly is. You see, at Christmas, we become very sentimental with a lot of distractions that have nothing to do with the gospel. The very essential truth of the gospel is found in the birth and the incarnation of God becoming a man in Jesus Christ. The cursed and crucified Savior rose from the dead, lives forevermore, and the blessing of Jesus is as wide as the curse is found. That's joy to the world. And that's why the last stanza we sang of that joy to the world, He rules the world with truth and grace. I'm thankful for grace. 
unmerited favor of God. And he makes the nations prove, look at this, the glories of whose righteousness? His righteousness, not mine. And wonders of his love. Look, that concept may be new because you're new to Christianity or never even thought about it. But let me at least let you and encourage you to take away the wonders of his love. You can never exhaust the wonders of his love. How wide is his love? As far as the curse is found. The wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. Father, we thank you for, Lord, sending Jesus to become the payment, the penalty that was required to bring many sons and daughters into your presence, into your family. Lord, thank you that where there was without hope, you promised one who would come and crush the head of the serpent, who would come, who would be sent to pay the price. Lord, as we celebrate Christmas, that may be something we don't usually connect with Christmas, but it's at the very heart of what Christ worship is all about. It's understanding who Jesus is the way the Bible presents him. The Bible doesn't present him as a martyr, doesn't present him as a as a great teacher, even though he was a great teacher, doesn't present him as a prophet, even though he was a prophet. The Bible presents, presents Jesus as the sent one, sent from the Father, incarnation, born, born of a virgin, to live 33 and a half years, to be crucified upon that tree, upon that wooden beam, the cross, that he would become a curse for us, so that we, the people of God who receive Him in faith, are no longer under that curse. Thank you for the goodness of your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And as we contemplate the wonders of Christmas, let us be thankful for the love of God that extends as far as the curse is found.